Welcome to InsideCatholicPhilly.com, where we explore the Catholic faith as it's experienced in church and in everyday life. I'm your host, Gina Christian, here with our editor, Matt Gambino. And along with our guests, we discuss the Catholic take on everything from sacraments and Sunday Mass to social media and sports, based on CatholicPhilly.com's award-winning news and commentary. Thanks so much for spending a few moments with us here today at CatholicPhilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. Our editor, Matt Gambino, is on assignment, but he joins us in spirit. Well, spring is finally here, and that means wedding season is upon us. Or maybe not. According to the Pew Research Center, marriage rates in the U.S. have been stable in recent years, but overall, they're down about 8% since 1990. People of all ages are waiting longer to marry, or they're not even bothering, choosing instead to live together or just to stay single. The median age for marriage is now somewhere between 28 and 30 years of age. And here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, celebrations of the sacrament of marriage are down about 30% from 2008, when we had just about 4,200 marriages. In 2017, we barely had 3,000. So despite the decline, marriage remains central to the life of the church for a number of theologically and spiritually rich reasons. And to tell us more about that, we've invited Father Frank Berna to join us in the studio. Father Frank is a theologian and the director of the Graduate Religion program in theology and ministry at LaSalle University here in Philadelphia. And he's also known throughout the area as the marriage priest, since he's always in demand as a wedding celebrant. Many of his students, in fact, end up asking him to marry them. Father Frank also works with couples who are struggling in their marriages through the Retrovi ministry, which helps to build communication skills between marriage partners. Father Frank, welcome. It's good to be here. You've seen marriage from all angles in your ministry, so let's just march right right down the aisle here. Father Frank, why do you think fewer Catholics are choosing to marry in the church? I think the first thing is that many young people are just distant from the church to begin with. It doesn't make a lot of sense to them, or it's just not a question that crosses their mind. There is what I call the wedding industry that sells a package where you want to have everything at the venue or outside or destination weddings. That's first on their plate. And then thoughts about church will often come from parents or grandparents. Well, don't you think? But parents say, oh, I don't want to get in the middle of it. So a lot of them just choose not to have it in church. So you think that a lot of them, as you said, are thinking of it more in terms of the reception, the party, the big festivity. It starts with that, yeah. And even the engagement. Now there's a trip very often to get engaged in Paris or England, you know, big festivities around that. And so it's the culture's image of marriage, really, that has taken hold of Catholics and Jewish people and Protestants. And very often it does become an industry where the marketers are saying, well, you could have this, you could have that, you could have the other, and don't you want. And, you know, people have been to this wedding and they had all this and that wedding and they had all that. And they very often feel that, well, we have to have at least that, you know, kind of a competition sort of thing. Exactly. It's kind of keeping up with and outstripping the Joneses Mm -hmm. there. But let's go back to what you were saying about how the culture looks at marriage, because I think that a lot of people seem to be confused. There's one way the church looks at it, but the culture's message of marriage, if you had to state that in a few words, what do you think it would be? I think there are a couple different angles. One is that people will talk about 
permanence. They would like permanence, but there's not a high expectation it's really going to be permanent. If troubles come along, you know, we'll just have to move on. I mean, it's the rare couple that's not living together before marriage. I was surprised. I was helping this one couple. I said, well, same address. And they said, well, no. And I said, oh, surprised me. And that sort of thing where it's, you know, we're going to try this out and see if it works. And I think that they carry a lot of that into marriage itself. And the other is this kind of expectation, an overly romanticized notion of marriage. You know, I'm marrying my friend and I think that's wonderful. But there's this notion that, you know, one person is going to meet all of my psychological, emotional, social needs. And it'll be like the two of us and dreamy fairy tale land kind of thing. When I'm helping couples prepare or when I'm teaching marriage as a course, I emphasize that there is no one person who will meet all our needs. So there's no soulmate out there. There is no soulmate. I think it's an awful term. (laughs) Certainly there are people who are better for us and we're better for certain people. Sometimes the personalities don't mesh at all or expectation or lifestyle, but there's no one idealized person, you know, that everything will just magically be fine. It's said in the Retrovi thing and in many other places, love is a choice and marriage is a choice and married love is a choice that one makes every day. I'm going to choose to love this person even when I don't feel like it. Even when there's misunderstanding, disappointment, I'm going to choose to love this person. I have chosen to love this person. I've heard it said that marriage is the ultimate lesson in forgiveness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It would have uh, to be given the number of opportunities you have to forgive mm -hmm. the other person in a marriage. But that's interesting, especially that concept of the soulmate, because I know a number of women who've been kind of ruled by that in their dating lives, you know, trying to find that one person. And they've been fed a diet of Hallmark movies, romance novels, Mm -hmm. princess stories, a lot of cultural fodder that's really encouraged them to think of this one person who's going to check off all these boxes for them. And as you're saying, that's not the case. And even the way they'll talk about the wedding day, this is the most important day of our lives. I think, well, it's a very important day, but I wouldn't say the most important day. (laughs) You know, I think uh, the birth of a child is a very important day. Um, Getting a new job is an important day. And as Christians, uh, being baptized is certainly an important day in your uh, life. Exactly. You know, the the celebration of the sacraments, you know, and the movement of God in our lives down the road is important. Our best days are never behind us as Christians. They're always in front of us. So we're putting too much pressure on ourselves, and this could lead to the bridezilla phenomenon, which I'm sure you've seen in action. (laughs) Uh, Yes, there was one young woman. Her introduction to me was, and I'm not the bridezilla everybody says I am. So nice you told me that. And that's the- <laughs> few challenges with that wedding, but we worked it out. Well, as you said, I mean, it does lead to a situation where the destination has to be perfect. The flowers have to be perfect. And really, that's not necessarily the best introduction to a shared life together when there's going to be a messy kitchen sink, you know, a bed that's unmade, bills to be paid, and three or four screaming kids running around the house. Like, you know, when the couple says, we want a perfect wedding, I said, well, there aren't any, so let's get used to it and do the best we can. You can have everything planned and it rains and we have no control over that. You could certainly have a very nice wedding, very wonderful wedding. The other side, I think, is church. To kind of meet people where they're at, the parish priest and deacons have a responsibility to help people have a Catholic wedding. And so often, some of these couples call up, and the first thing they're told, no, you don't belong here. You're not a parishioner. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I mean, I've found, you know, couples will say, we want it all set for the venue. I said, let's talk. I need a church. So let's talk how we can maybe make this work. And it's an opportunity then to explain why 
you know, we want it in the church, why the church wants weddings to be in churches, chapels, and sacred places. And they begin to get an understanding. Oh, okay. You know, because you are celebrating a sacrament, you know, as we understand it. You know, and how can we make this work for you? So many things in church. We don't start with no. We have to start with how can we help? We'll talk more about marriage as a sacrament. If we've got a culture that's focusing on marriage as an event or marriage as an ideal that isn't necessarily related to reality, what is the church's view on marriage? How should this work? Preparation for marriage really begins when kids are little. And part of it is the parents having a good marriage and talking about it. I think in some of our preaching as church, you know, that we talk a little more positively and more frequently about marriage, putting realistic images out there with teenagers and dating, that it's more than, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other. Let's talk about the holiness of our sexuality, the holiness of friendship, the holiness of human love, and the goodness of our sexuality, the goodness of human love. I I think that's, again, better than starting with all the temptations that come our way. They're very real and and, you know, we damage ourselves and damage other people, the way we treat one another. When I would teach undergrad marriage, I, I emphasize, you know, that if we start with a goodness, that maybe this is something that we want to reserve for someone special, that our sexual activity is something very important about us and something very good about us. I don't know if it works any better than other stuff, but I, I just have a feeling that it does. Well, I think it does because, you know, for example, we can certainly understand that you don't swipe your finger across the wedding cake before it's yeah. time to actually serve the wedding cake. But as you said, the focus is more holistic and certainly a healthier one if, as you said, we start from childhood Mm -hmm. and we present this as a good as opposed to uh, here's a goal you can reach, but here are all the rules that govern the reaching of that goal. That doesn't seem to make sense, nor does it seem to be very enticing. I do like Pope Francis and his Rejoice and Be Glad, where he really hits on the holiness of everyday living. And he gives the example of the parent caring for the child. He mentions the elderly religious who keeps a smile on her face. And he calls it a middle-class holiness. I just think that, again, too often our images of holiness are being in church or heroic prayers or pilgrimage. And they're all wonderful things, but most people don't have time time for them. The holiness of preparing the evening meal, the holiness of a family gathered around the table doesn't need to be an elaborate grace, but just a thankfulness for what was good in your life today. So I think that in one sense that just doing more as church to point out to people how they're living the sacrament in the everyday. And we'll stop there for today. I've been speaking with Father Frank Berna, a theologian and the director of the Graduate Religion Program in Theology and Ministry at LaSalle University here in Philadelphia. Father Frank teaches and ministers extensively in the area of marriage. Father Frank has been sharing some of his insights on how the culture and the church view marriage and how we can all rediscover the sacramental nature of this amazing gift. And if you think marriage is only about two people, Join us for our next conversation, where Father Frank will talk about how marriage ministers to the community as a whole. So you've heard our thoughts. What about yours? Reach out to us and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Catholic Philly or visit us online at CatholicPhilly.com. Thanks so much to Matt Gambino, the editor of CatholicPhilly.com. I'm your host, Gina Christian. And until next time, may God bless and keep you. 
Celebrate St. Rita, the patroness of healing, peacemaking, and impossible cases. The National Shrine of St. Rita of Cascia invites you to participate in a solemn novena May 13th through 21st and to celebrate St. Rita's feast day on May 22nd. The shrine is located at 1166 South Broad Street in Philadelphia. For more information, visit the shrine's website at stritashrine.org. This podcast has been a production of catholicphilly.com. Music by Dustin Taylor Phillips. For more information, visit us online at catholicphilly.com.